0: Is that? That was awesome. Brian wrote that song. Got a CD. He's got a few CDs out in the lobby that you can go and pick up right by the bookstore. And then that was Maxim on the beatbox. Do another beatbox real quick. Show him a little. Jesus is Lord. Come on. Man, I was jamming out to that song. Fight on. I loved it. I can't sing as good as Brian, but. That was good. Well, let's stand up on our feet. Thank you, choir, band. Great job. We're in our series, People of the Cross. And uh, it's going to be, a, it's gonna be a, it is a beautiful day outside. And this message, I think, is going to be a beautiful message in Jesus' name. If you have a Bible, go to Romans 8, 28. Come on, we get loud. It's March Madness. We are celebrating the greatest bracket buster in the history of the world when Jesus defeated the sin and the death and the enemy of hell and the devil. Romans 8 verse 28, Paul says, we know that all things work together for good. That's a good scripture to say amen. All things are working together for good. It's working out. It's going to work out. God's turning things around. No matter what you're walking through, it's going to work out for good in Jesus' name. He says, we know all things work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. The people of the cross are the image of the Son. We are like the moon. We reflect the sun and we shine His glory so the world can see Jesus through you and me. C.S. Lewis said these words. He said, don't shine so people can see you. He said, shine so people can see Jesus in you. And that's what the message is today, is that we would live like Jesus so we can glorify Him and so the world can see Him. And we're going to do a victory confession together. If you're new to victory or new to church, this is just a confession to get us ready for God's Word today for the next 25, 30 minutes that we're going to tune in. God's going to speak to us. Our best days are in front of us. So on the count of three, we're going to shout this out together. One, two, three. I'm here on purpose because I have a purpose. My heart is open. My mind is ready to receive Because God is not finished with me yet. My best days are right in front of me, and I have victory in my life because Jesus lives in me. God, we thank you for victory, grace, victory, and freedom in our life today. Speak to us. Let us leave changed, refreshed, renewed, and encouraged. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. amen. You can be seated. And as you're sitting down, tell someone next to you, you look great today. Come on. Those of you that are watching online, you look great too. I'm sure that you do. We can't see you, but we know you're out there all over the world tuning in to Victory every week. I got a question for you. Do you think there's a phrase out there that says people kind of look like their pets? Do you think that's true, that people start to look like their pets? Come on now. Or their pets start to look like them. They take on the personality. It's kind of a mean, it's an insult to say you remind me of your dog. But there is some truth That people, the longer they're with their pets, that personality, either the pet or the person somewhere in there. Nonetheless, whether you believe that or not, it's true about people hanging with people. That the longer you're with someone, the more you start to look, act, think, kind of talk like them. Husbands and wives, the longer you're married, people uh, mistake you as brother and sister. Has that ever happened to you before? And and because they think maybe it hasn't happened to you, but maybe you actually are here in Oklahoma. But the truth is... (laughs) I, I'm sorry. That was a low blow. I, I'm an Oklahoma person. I'm an Okie. But listen, the truth is there, there is some truth that the longer we're with someone, we start to think like them. And God was speaking through Paul when he said his plan was to make us more like Jesus. How do we become more like Jesus? And why should we become more like Jesus? And I started thinking about that passage, especially in reference to our series, People of the Cross. And I was thinking about a few years ago, I was walking down this hallway here, and um, it was like a week after Easter, and I saw the character who played Jesus in our Easter play. He was walking down the hallway, too, and it was after church, and he was kind of (coughs) coughing. And I said, hey, Jesus, you know, good to see you, and he, because that's that's how I recognized him was he had been playing that part for so long, and he kept coughing. (coughs) And so I started getting closer to him, and he starts, you know, trying to get me to come near. And then he grabs me and he pulls me behind him and he wraps my arms around him. And I'm like, okay, what's going on here? And and so I realized, oh, he's choking. He needs me to do the Heimlich maneuver. And I've never done this before. And so I start trying to do my own version of it. So I'm like, and he's like, (coughs) and he's really choking bad. And so finally I just give him a real big one, and this apple core comes flying out of his mouth. No joke, right here in the hallway, this apple core comes flying out. And, and while this was happening, he turns around and he goes, ah, Thanks, Pastor Paul. And while this was happening, there was a, a group of people that were kind of forming around watching it. They didn't know what was going on. They formed a line. And so when he was done, this woman stepped up. She goes, Me next. I think she thought I was casting out demons or something, and there was more in line ready for an exorcism or something that I would get the, the bondages off their life. And so I started praying for people that were in the line there. But I realized Jesus needs our help. And that might sound theologically wrong, but let me explain. It's not that Jesus has to have our help. It's not that Jesus can't do this without us. It's that he has decided to partner with us in reaching the world. When Jesus came, He didn't just come to stay as a human here for all uh, the world. Uh, he came to impart something into us, then to go to heaven preparing a place for us, because one day He's coming back to get us. Come on, somebody. But while we're here waiting for Him, we're to become more like Him in partnership to reach the world. And that's what people of the cross are. Our, our, we are a representation of Jesus to Tulsa. We're a representation of Jesus to Quick Trip. We're a representation of Jesus to the nations of the world. And behind me, you could see these continents. And you see these white dots on these continents. These are uh, representations of Jesus from our church in all the nations of the world. These are our missionaries we support on a monthly basis. So let's give our missionaries a big hand, touching Asia, Australia, Europe, Africa, South America, Central and North, and Canada. And The colored dots represent the places where there's persecution going on. Where the pink and the green and orange is. On this map you can see that that red area is where the worst persecution is happening. People are being beheaded. People are being shot. People are being separated from families. Thrown into prison simply because they've decided to be the people of the cross. And we saw on the news that 21 Egyptians were killed from ISIS, by ISIS, simply because they wouldn't deny Jesus as Lord. And so, what do we do with the persecution that's going on in the world? Right now, 100 million Christians a year are being persecuted. 100 million. I didn't say 1 million. 100 million. Simply because they stand for the cross. And the cross equals love. It equals God's love. This is why we live. It's it's to be Jesus to people around the world. And there's some people who hate that. There are some radical governments and religious groups that hate the message of the cross because it's offensive. Jesus was offensive. He came to preach a message and a gospel that says there is no other way to heaven except through Jesus. There's no way to the Father except through the Son. And so for us to be in partnership with God, we had to realize... It's not just the people all over the world, the missionaries from our church that are the people of the cross. It's us right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma that are the people of the cross. And this whole month, we've been talking about how do we live as the people of the cross. The first week, we talked about being mission-minded, giving, sowing, uh, going on missions, praying for missionaries, remembering those on the missions field, carrying our cross. Last week, we talked about how to carry our cross. This week, I want to pick up on that, how to live like Jesus. What holds us back from living like Jesus for the people in our communities? Living like Jesus. I think one of the biggest things that faces the body of Christ today is fear. Fear. Fear is such a crippling, paralyzing tactic of the enemy. Joyce Meyer says that fear is the master spirit the devil uses to trick Christians from being unsubmitted to the master Lord Jesus Christ. Because fear controls us. It is a master. It dominates our actions. It dominates our words, our thoughts. It's a dark spirit. And listen, there's all kinds of fears in the world. In fact, there's even a fear of being afraid. It's called phobophobia. And it is a fear of being afraid. There's fear of spiders. There's fear of heights, of germs, of closed-in spaces, airplanes, dogs, cats. Come on, somebody. There's a fear of just about anything and everything. But some of the most intense fears that are facing the church right now are the fear of stepping out and sharing the gospel. Right now, there's this spirit that the devil's trying to use to push people back. And whether you're a Christian or not today, you need to know, you need to be aware of what's going on, the climate in the world and this operation of fear the devil's using. Because fear is being used to push people back in a corner, regardless of what you believe, and just say, shut up, sit down, and don't do anything. This is what the devil's using to get the church to be quiet. Don't step out. You just want people to like you. So don't don't, stay, don't say what you believe. Don't have a stand on anything. Don't let anyone know you're a follower of Jesus. There's persecution going on. And so how do we overcome and defeat this spirit of fear? Because church, if we don't defeat the spirit of fear, this fear will defeat us from the, from the uh, fulfillment of what God's called us to do. We've got to defeat it. God's already conquered it for us, but we've got to walk in that victory. This is what Jesus said in John 16, He says, troubles are coming. Trial is going to happen. He was talking to his disciples. And today he's saying the same thing to us. Just because we got saved doesn't mean we got exempt from the trials and the storms of this life. But here's the good news. He says, take courage. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Which means that there's nothing we face that we cannot overcome because Jesus has already overcome it. There's nothing you go through that you can't get through because Jesus lives inside you. He's overcome everything the devil would try to bring against us. We don't have to live dominated by the master spirit of fear. We can live free of that. And Jesus says, here's the thing, you're going to have to Look to me. You're going to have to get your eyes on me. You're going to have to let my spirit get inside you. I was sitting next to a man on a plane this past week. I was with our seniors in Peru, and they were sharing the gospel there. And coming back from Peru, this guy on the plane, I was trying to witness to people, and he said, I don't believe in, in that stuff. I'm agnostic. I've just decided to believe in nothing. And, and, and he, was a, he was a businessman in his 50s, and he said, listen, I, I don't want to believe in something that's going to force me to be like everybody else. I don't want to be a clone. And I said, well, you don't understand. Christianity is not about becoming a clone. It's about becoming more like Jesus. And he said, yeah, but, but, but don't we all have to dress the same and look the same? No, you can wear your business suit. You don't have to wear jeans. You can wear uh, whatever you want to wear. But something on the inside changes when you become a follower of Jesus. It's not about the outward clothing appearance. It's about the inward changing of the heart. It's about a changing of your spirit. You get set free from fear. And as I started telling him this, something was changing. He said, I grew up in a church that told me we all had to dress the same and look the same and act the same. And I said, no, it's the inner part of you that begins to change. And it changes your actions. It begins to change the way you respond to situations. Instead of responding with anger or revenge, or instead of responding with anxiety or panic attacks, you begin to respond with faith. You begin to respond with love, with forgiveness. He didn't get saved on the plane, but his heart was beginning to change and open up to the gospel. And I was thinking about how Jesus wants us to become like Him so we can rise above the fear that tries to control us in the climate of this world. Three ways that we can become more like Jesus and rise above fear. Three ways we can do it. Number one, live in His love. Live in His love. And that's an important part right there, His love. Not your love, but His love. When we are living in God's love... His love for us cast out all fear. 1 John 4:18 says perfect love. The only one who has perfect love is Father God. As much as we would like to think we are perfect in our love, we're just we're not. We, we we're on our way towards that, but the perfect Father from above gives us perfect love which dispels our fear and insecurity of wondering if we're going to make it, wondering if we're going to get through this time, wondering what's going to happen to America, what's going to happen to your family, what might happen to your marriage, or what might happen to your kids, or all the different things the devil uses to try and dominate believers with fear. Perfect love cast out all fear. I was talking with a group of pastors here in our church that serve all generations. We've got uh, different leaders in the church that are serving uh, some of the older generations and then some that are serving the young, the kids. And they said the number one thing we hear from people in the church is there is a lack of truly believing that God loves you unconditionally. That there is a lie from the enemy that says God's love changes for you periodically. His acceptance of you, His forgiveness for you changes every now and then because you make Him angry sometimes. That is such a lie from the enemy. Because God loves you through it all. God loves you when you're awesome and God loves you when you're a failure. God lifts you when you're broken and God carries you when you're on the mountaintop. He's with you in the valley and He's with you on the top. And you need to know that today because that's the firm foundation for living like Jesus. Jesus lived from the overflow of knowing His Father loved Him. Luke 3, verse 22, before Jesus preached any message or did any miracles, God confirmed and, and validated His Son by saying, This is my beloved Son. And Him I am well pleased. And Jesus lived from the fuel and the power of God loves me. Dad loves me. Maybe you grew up with a dad that didn't say that, that didn't live that. But I want you to know you have a father in heaven that's greater than any dad here on earth that says, I love you, I'm for you, I'm with you. Whether you impress me or not, I still love you. Stand secure in that. Jesus addressed a group of people that lived in the opposite of love. They lived in the law. And these were the religious leaders of the day. And and it says that in Matthew 23, Jesus started having this conversation with these religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. See, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were strictly bound to try and doing everything right. Because in doing everything right, they felt validated. They felt secure. Their identity was in their works instead of in his love. And, and, And the Sadducees, they were sad, you see. Come on, somebody. This is a good preacher joke right there. The Pharisees, they weren't fair, you see. That one wasn't as good, but. Thank you. I love you too. God loves me. I think about this story of this guy named Matt Emmons in the 2004 Olympics. He was one shot away from the gold medal in the 50-meter three-position rifle event. And he was so ahead of the other opponents that he didn't even have to hit the bullseye on the target. He just had to land somewhere on the target. And so he shot, and he hit the bullseye. The only problem was he hit the wrong target. He was aiming in the wrong lane, the lane right next to the lane he was supposed to be in. His eyes were so focused on the bullseye, but it was the wrong bullseye. And I think there's a lot of Christians that are so focused on this one bullseye, but it's the wrong bullseye. We're so focused on everything we can do right to make sure we feel loved, secure, and identified with our works. When God's trying to get us on the right bullseye, it's in Christ alone. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 through 8 says, We were sinners when Christ died for us. Very rarely will someone good do something for people that have done good things. But God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died died for us. Our identity and foundation and everything flows from living in His love. Living in the love of the Father. And some of us need to have a pharisectomy. Just to be, just to be plain. We need to get the inner Pharisee removed from our body because that pharisaical attitude will keep you in a place of judging everybody else, including yourself, and not truly living secure in God's love for you and His love for all mankind around you. We need to have a pharisectomy. We need to have that operation that only God can do that removes that, that insecure, fearful, afraid attitude of I don't know if God loves me anymore and get back to the firm foundation. He loves me. And Jesus says this. If we're going to become more like Him, He says, come to me. Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, come to me. All you who are weary, those of you that are tired, burned out on religion. And He says this. I'll show you. How to have a real rest. Come with me and I'll help you recover your life. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. By the way, that's how we become more like Jesus is keeping company with him. You can't become more like Jesus if you're never with him. He says, keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. If following Jesus has become a drudgery and a boredom thing for you, you're not following Jesus. You are following religion and laws. Because when you are living in His love, it's the greatest adventure you could ever have. It's the greatest sense of security. I can't preach on my own. If I tried to preach from my own strength, I would be exhausted and burned out. I preach from the love of the Father. God loves me. His love fuels me and empowers me to stand up and preach the gospel. It sets me free from insecurities and fears. Because when I first started preaching a few years ago on Saturday nights, I was so dominated by the fear of man that I wasn't really free to be who God had called me to be. And I think it's a daily process of continuing to come back to the love of God that frees us from the fear of man or from the fear of not being perfect because perfectionism is a huge idol in America. Thinking we've got to do it all right by ourselves. You can't do this without Jesus. He says, abide in me because apart from me you can do nothing but in me, in Christ alone. We can produce the holiness, the purity, the righteousness that he's called us to produce. Number two, the way we become more like Jesus is we walk by faith. See, hear, trust, embrace that God is with you, he's for you, and he's in you. Have faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Have faith that his word is enough to get you through whatever season you're going through. Have faith that he's with you. His presence never Leaves you. Second Timothy 1:7, Paul tells Timothy, we've not been given a spirit of fear, but we've been given power, love, and a sound mind. Jesus preached a message of faith. If there was one message that Jesus said over and over and over, was just believe. Just believe. He talked about having faith as small as a mustard seed. And here's the thing: when we get saved, we kind of get on the um, the balance beam, right? We decide, okay, I'm going I'm to follow Jesus. How many of you guys like watching the gymnasts in the Olympics, like Gabby Douglas? Come on, somebody. This is one of the hardest parts for gymnasts, is getting on this balance beam. And when we get saved, we decide to follow Jesus, we get excited, like Peter stepping out of the boat, walking towards Jesus, saying, Jesus, if it's you, bid me come. And Jesus says, step out of the boat, Peter, come on. And Okay, I'm, I'm excited. I'm, I am saved. I'm following Jesus. The joy of my salvation. And then the wind starts to blow. Oh, wow. I didn't know that following Jesus was going to be hard sometimes. I didn't know there was going to be persecution for Christians. I didn't read about that. I, someone didn't preach that message to me. <laughs> I didn't know I was going to face trials and troubles. And, and so the wind starts to blow. And like Peter, we take our eyes off of Jesus and we begin to look at the storms. The trials. What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you have to transition to a new season of life that you weren't ready for? And it's staring you in the eyes. And you've got to make a decision in the next ten days. Fear starts to grip you. Okay, alright, okay, okay. I'm just going to... um. Let me see here. I'm just going to get down, Jesus, and um, I'm going to just, I'm going to make it, but I'm just going to get right here. Ah, There we go, Jesus. All right. I'm going to live a safe, comfortable life. My kids are going to wear helmets every time they go outside. We're going to hide in our house we're not even going to go in big places where there's lots of people because what if we die? We're not going to tell anyone about Jesus because what if they don't like us? What if they hate us? What if they reject us? I'm only going to give like 1% of my money in the offering because 10%, ah, it scares me. <sighs> and, and the future scares me. And the next season of life, it just freaks me out. I don't know what to do. And so we hug. This is, this is the routine for so many Christians. This is the routine. We just hug the balance beam, right? And then we get to the end of our life. And it's time to get off the balance beam. So we go, okay, all right, all right, here we go. Okay. Ah, And we're standing before God. There you go, God. I made it. Made it. And the judge of heaven is... Well done. You lived a safe life. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't risk anything. You didn't trust me. You didn't step out in faith. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and have that as the end of my routine. I want to stay on the beam and I want to trust God through the wind and the waves. fear. It's not going to control me. It's not going to dominate you. Worry about the future. Panic attacks. They don't have to stop you from walking by faith. But here's the key. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Keep our eyes on Jesus and off the waves. Because right now, there are a lot of waves all over the world. There's a lot of wind blowing. When you see stuff on the news in our own city, it can scare you. It can cause you to get paralyzed and hug the balance beam instead of truly walking by faith. There's a girl from our church named Zena, and she grew up in Nigeria, one of the highly persecuted nations of the world to be a Christian. And she grew up in a family that was devout Muslims. Her dad was an imam. He, he studied the Quran intensely and strictly. And he lifted it up in his house as the only way. Allah was the only way, he said, for his family. And Zaina grew up in this house, and when she was finishing primary school, which is high school here for us in, in America, one day in her last year, her brother came to her and began to tell her about what he had heard from a teacher outside of a classroom at the school he was at, about this God the teacher was telling him about, who had a son named Jesus. And as she began to hear the story, she was intrigued. And so, for the next few weeks, she would go and meet with the teacher secretly, apart from her dad. If he found out, it would be bad. And she was convinced in the message of Jesus Christ. The teacher was teaching her and her brother about Jesus. And by the way, she grew up with 24 siblings. And so, here she was thinking about what to do with this message. If she believed in it, it could cost her her life. And so she decided, I'm going to move to England to go into college and to university. And when I get to England away from my parents, I'm going to put my faith in God. But here was, the, here was the stopping point for her. She came across this scripture in Luke chapter 9. I want us to turn there together. Luke chapter 9. It's been a foundation scripture this whole series. And a friend pointed this scripture out to her, and it just stuck with her. Luke 9, verse 23. If anyone desires to come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world, but yet his soul is destroyed in the process? And then this scripture right here just hit her between the eyes. She said, whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in the Father's presence of the holy angels. And this boy looked at her and he said, Zaina, we're not promised next week. We're not promised tomorrow or next year when you're in England. Today is the day for salvation. And that day in Nigeria, she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And she went home and she told her siblings, I am a Christian. Word got to her father. Her father was furious. He threw her in a house and stripped her of clothes and food for three days, trying to force her to recant her faith in Jesus Christ. But she wouldn't. She decided, "I I I will stop reading the Bible. She said, it got to the point where I was so hungry, I told them I would stop reading the Bible. So I gave my Bible back to them that the teacher had given me but she said, in my heart, I still held on to my faith in Jesus. And the time came where she moved to England finally, and she became a, a, a she truly started following Jesus, going to church, reading her Bible. Her father found out about it, got some people to get her and bring her back to Nigeria. He beat her, and he threatened, I will kill you, Zena. if you keep following this Jesus. If you don't recant that you believe in Jesus, I will kill you. And, She cried with tears in her eyes as he slapped her and punched her. She was telling me this on the phone yesterday. She said, I believe in Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. See, because this is what faith is. Faith is holding on even when things get shaky. Faith is trusting that Jesus will get you through it. And no matter what, to live is Christ and to die is gain. We don't have to be afraid of ISIS. We don't have to be afraid of Boko Haram. Uh, do we need to be ready, prepared? Yes. But living in fear is no way to live as a follower of Jesus. And so we prepare. But then we stand firm like Zena did. And by the grace of God, Zaina was able to escape her father's house from Nigeria. She was able to move here to Oklahoma in 2012. And she is a member here at Victory of this church. Following Jesus. Standing for Jesus. Proclaiming the message of Jesus. It is a testimony. I want the band to come up as I get ready to close. What happens when you get afraid? What happens when you feel threatened by the enemy? By darkness? By fear of things that are going on around you? Do you respond in fear or do you respond in faith? They both ask the same question, to believe in something that hasn't happened yet. Fear says believe things are going to get worse. Things aren't going to turn around. This is the end of the road. Faith says God's turning things around. God's with me. He's for me. He's going to lead me through this. There's nothing I go through I cannot get through with Jesus inside of me. And so you've got to decide which one will you be dominated by. And the free choice is yours to live by faith. Number three, here's how we live like Jesus is we live and move with His compassion. Move with His compassion. This last week in Peru, one of the mornings we woke up and they said, you're going to go and help build a church in one of the small villages on the mountainside in Iquitos, the Amazon jungle. And so we went there, we got there and this pastor and his wife were in a small little mud hut right there in the Amazon jungle. And it was on this grassy mountain that they were building a church. They had a small church about the size of this stage that they were gonna pack 70 people in every week and share the gospel with. And so we had to prepare the foundation. So for eight hours, we were digging in the mud, pulling up the weeds, preparing where they were gonna lay the concrete floor. And it was so powerful, just sweating. It was so hot and humid out there, but it was powerful. And the pastor was so thankful for us from victory coming to help build his church, to reach the, reach the people of Iquitos. And it got me thinking about how building the kingdom of God happens right here every day in our lives. By helping hurting people. Seeing the need and meeting it. Seeing the hurt and healing it. Being his hands and feet. You don't have to go overseas to move with compassion. You can move with compassion for the people right in front of you that are hurting And here's the thing, we were building a church and it got me thinking about how all of us are building a kingdom. The question is whose kingdom are we building? Are we building our kingdom or are we building His kingdom? Because our kingdom would be selfish. Our kingdom would be doing what we feel comfortable and convenient to do. Dominated by fear. What if they reject me? What if I share the gospel with them and they hate me? What if they say I'm never going to your church? What if? But what if they say yes? I was waiting for someone like you to reach out and invite me to church. I was waiting for a Christian like you to show me the compassion of Jesus Christ. I was just waiting for someone to show me that Jesus is alive in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Not just in Cambodia. Not just in Myanmar or Brazil, but right here in Tulsa, among some of the most religious communities that we rise up and we rise above religion and we live with a real relationship with Jesus Christ that moves with compassion and touches the people in our city and touches the people with God's love. How do we do it? Here's, here's a practical way this week that you can live like Jesus. Invite somebody to church. Invite somebody to belong before they believe. Maybe they're not ready yet to commit to Jesus Christ. If they are, praise God. Get them saved in the moment. Lead them in a sinner's prayer. Invite them to know Jesus. But bring them to church. You say, well, how do I know who to invite to church? I mean, it seems like everybody in Tulsa goes to church. Absolutely false. It's a big myth here in Tulsa. There are a lot of people who don't know Jesus, who aren't connected to church, and they're missing out on God's plan for their life. They're living in fear, living in oppression, living without a community, living without a sense of worship or purpose or knowing that their best days are still in front of them. So how do we know who to invite? I'm going to give you real quick four knots, four knots to look for in conversations with strangers that you can, it's cueing you. It would be like a routine. You hear this knot and and it causes you to invite them with you to church. I heard this from Andy Stanley. He said, anytime we hear one of these knots in a conversation at a restaurant or with friends. Or at co, uh, people we work with. Or on Facebook. It's an invitation for us to bring them to church. To invite them to church. So number one. If you hear somebody who says. I'm not in church right now. <laughs> that's someone you can invite to church. I don't currently have a home church. How many of you have ever heard this before? In Tulsa. I, well I'm not. I, I'm not currently going to church. I'm a believer. But I'm not really currently connected to God. Connected to his family. Someone to invite. Let it be a cue. Like when you get hungry. You know it's time to eat. And so you eat, and the reward is you feel full afterwards. Let this be a cue that it's time to invite. And when you invite, you know the reward is they might come, and they might get saved, and they might have a life change being connected to this house. Number two, things aren't going well. When somebody says things just aren't going well, they're just not good right now in my life. A friend or a family member tells you this. Come to church with me. Number three, I'm not prepared for Somebody says, I'm not prepared for whatever it is. Maybe I'm not prepared for marriage. I'm not prepared to raise my kids. We just got back from the hospital. I don't know how we're going to do it. I'm not prepared for the financial uh, 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 stress and the load that, that things are about to pick up for me or my family. Come to church with me. God has a plan for your life. Number four, when you hear somebody say, I'm not from here, so many people move to Tulsa that aren't from here. They don't have friends, they don't have family, they don't have relationships come with me to church. Let these be cues to move with his compassion. When Peter and John were walking to the temple and they heard a beggar saying, I don't have money. It was a cue. I need money. It was a cue. They said, okay, it's bigger than money. There's a deeper root here. And so compassion reaches beyond the surface level and says, let me heal your heart. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give to thee. Rise up and walk. Somebody needs what you have. You don't have to, yes, it's good to get a passport, go on a mission trip. It'll be a game changer in your life. But even more importantly, give Jesus in your own neighborhood. Jesus told his disciples, start right where you're at. Reach across the road. Freely you have received, now freely give. I want us to stand to our feet all over this room. You're thinking about somebody this Easter that you can invite to church. Two weeks from now, in 13 days... We are going to celebrate Easter Sunday. And I know it's an exciting time for us as believers, but here's the more exciting thing. Not just that we get to celebrate that Jesus rose from the dead, but that there's people that need to know Jesus rose from the dead for them too. There are lost people in our city that need to be invited to church. Those risen flyers at the end of your row, pass them back down again. I know we've done a lot of pass downs today, but just take it one more time and grab those risen flyers. And I'm going to ask no one to move right now unless you're getting ready to come to the altar. I promise I'll dismiss you to go eat at your favorite place in five minutes. But please honor this moment right here, right now. God wants to do something in somebody's life that's standing beside you or behind you.